I'm Logan Crawford, and right now on Spotlight, we're talking about an intriguing book. It is called In Search of the Animalcule. It is written by Dr. Stephen L. Burke, MD. He weaves an inspiring tale of resilience and discovery as young Jacob, born in 1847 in Vienna, embarks upon a quest to uncover his family history and is thrust into a world of scientific exploration. He finds himself working alongside such historical figures as Louis Pasteur and Joseph Lister. We are delighted to have the doctor join us today on Spotlight. We thank the folks at Atticus Publishing for helping us put him in the spotlight today. And we ask viewers like you to support writers like him by subscribing to our channel. Doctor, thank you so much for being our guest. Yes, I'm, I'm very glad to be here. Thank you. Pleasure is all mine. I never heard of animalcule. So why don't we explain to the audience what an animalcule is or are? Sure. Uh, animalcules was first uh, coined by Leeuwenhoek, who is a Dutch businessman, really, but someone who had invented the microscope and saw these little tiny organisms he didn't think anything about the possibility that they were causing disease in humans, but nevertheless, he called them animalcules, very tiny animals, which now we know are bacteria that have caused so much disease, plague around the world, but were not recognized until 1850. Are bacteria actually animals? Uh, we don't call them animals because animals have some other definitions of mm -hmm. organ systems, but they certainly have many characteristics of animals. They re they grow, they reproduce, they have lifespans, and uh, they're often dependent on the rest of the environment. Yeah. It's interesting. This book starts out with... Uh, Jacob basically losing his mother. Um, and we forget how deadly childbirth was back in 1847. It was, was it the number one killer perhaps of women at that time? Tell us a little bit about the backstory of the death of Jacob's mother. Right. Well, the death of Jacob's mother, which was due to childbed fever, is in many ways the start of the whole issue of how bacteria were discovered and how bacteria were found to be the cause of so many different diseases. And what happened in 1847 in Vienna is a physician named Semmelweis realized that on the physician ward, the physicians that were taking care of women and doing the delivery, there was a high incidence of death during childbirth. But in a different ward, where mostly the deliveries were done by nurses, there wasn't much uh, childbed fever. Well, these physicians who were actually uh, Vienna trained, very knowledgeable physicians would, after the deliveries, often go down to the autopsy room to look at the various patients who have died to try to figure out why they died. And so they had their hands were contaminated. And Semmelweis recognized 
that there was something very wrong on these wards, that childbed fever was caused by something on the hands of physicians. And when he put a chlorine bath there, physicians to wash their hands, childbed fever almost completely went away. Now, he never said that it was bacteria on the hands of the physicians, but that's when individuals started thinking about, well, what was on the hands causing this problem? And then when Pasteur in uh, France discovered that bacteria were causing uh, wine to be spoiled, began to put two and two together and wonder whether maybe those same bacteria or animalcules were the responsibility of childbed fever. So all of these ideas started to develop somewhere between 1847 and 1860. I think it's amazing. Um, Bill Gates says the most impactful thing he's ever done has been to give screens to people living in impoverished conditions in Africa because it protects them from mosquitoes. And here you have doctors back in you know the uh, 1840s, 1850s, realizing that washing your hands, a simple process like this, is perhaps one of the most significant things we can do to stop the spread of disease. That's right. Yeah. And when I wanted to write about the beginnings of infectious disease, the great physician, some of the martyrs who uh, fought against infectious disease, there was no better time to write this as during the COVID era where some of the lessons were the same. Yeah. And washing one's hands was, also, was a critical part of uh, uh, controlling the COVID outbreak. Exactly, exactly. Although viruses are not considered animalcules. True. True, true. And but, viruses, uh, yeah, I just... Yes, and viruses caused a lot of confusion uh, later on in the 1860s, some confusion particularly with Pasteur, who thought he saw some diseases like rabies, he was sure must be an infectious disease. Mm -hmm. But with all the hours, he looked under the microscope in the saliva of individuals who had rabies, he would never find the rabies virus because it was too small to see through mm -hmm. the microscope. So it took many more years to realize that while a lot of bacteria were very easy to see in the 1860s, like anthrax and uh, coke, but everyone continued to scratch their heads on smallpox and rabies and diseases, which were later to find out to be viruses that could only be seen by electron microscopy many decades later. Now, if you listen to sci-fi at all, you know, obviously we had a risk of bacteria, which is highly curable now, viruses that we're starting to get a handle on. The new threat appears to be, if I'm not mistaken, fungi or funguses. Yeah. Well, the reason that uh, fungus is uh, an increasing problem, been an increasing problem for the last probably 20 years, is that when we start using very powerful antibiotics that can get rid of all bacteria, it leaves kind of an opening for organisms like candida. So you'll see fungus infections, particularly 
in those who have already received a lot of antibiotics to kill various types of bacterial infection. Fascinating. Why did you decide to write this book, doctor? It was obviously targeted towards a lay person to inform the public about the miraculous history of our scientific and medical advancements. I think a big part was that I knew we had this just incredible story that to think about in the 1850s with so many individuals around the world dying from all kinds of plagues and diseases, whether it was cholera or plague or pneumonia, that nobody had any thought, nobody in the world had any thought or said that these diseases were caused by bacteria or things or animalcules too small to be seen. And then in, a se- in several countries in Europe, mostly with several individuals, uh, but with many people helping them and supporting them, but Pasteur, Lister, Koch, and to some extent Semmelweis, broke open this incredible mystery to say, now the world knows why all these individuals are dying of plague and other infections. And so I think that's an amazing story of medicine and science. It's a glorification of science. And it also is a story about how physicians need to use science and interpret science for the sake of their patients. And so I thought that was an important theme. And then again, with the COVID uh, epidemic, even to see that every one of those famous scientists were criticized for having a opinion that went against the norm. I mean, imagine being Semmelweis to have to say to physicians, these women are dying because of something on your hands. And who is going to accept that, you know, without criticism? And we had the same thing. I went through the HIV pandemic, lots of criticism of physicians, and of course, COVID, never more uh, criticisms of infectious disease physicians, even though uh, science developed a vaccine against COVID that really helped uh, save the world. So that was that was what my thinking was about writing this book. I had other themes, had an important theme about the role of women in science, the theme about uh, uh, physicians, versus physicians and scientists and what their what their best role together is. And so as a dean for so many years, I had other themes that I wanted to embed into this story. Exactly. And I was going to mention that, that this is your expertise. You are a faculty member and administrator dean at Texas Tech, a uh, practicing physician for many years in both geriatric medicine and internal medicine. So this is in your your wheelhouse, as they say. Right. Well, I've been through pandemic, two pandemics. I was an f- infectious disease practicing physician in the late 1980s and early 90s during the HIV pandemic. Mm-hmm. And there's a theme there because I took care of patients in the 90s when there wasn't a single drug against HIV or AIDS, 
And so my patients died as frequently as the oncologist's patients died. And frequently I held their hand with no drug to actually give them. But now as I teach the medical students, there are 30 different drugs, 30 different treatments for HIV, six different ways of attacking the HIV virus. And it all came out of science in my lifetime. And I find it uh, uh, truly a uh, uh, an amazing testimony to science and how science can save us. Yeah. yeah, it's a shame we live in such a polarized world where, as you said, in this day and age, there'd be anti-Semmelweis uh, Facebook pages saying that they're trying to control you by getting you to wash your hands. Yeah. You know, um, so we live in kind of a crazy age. But I also lived through that epidemic or pandemic of AIDS. And starting with Rock Hudson, I was a young journalist. And yeah. we were scared to death when we interviewed somebody who had AIDS. <laughs> we would carry mm -hmm. things in our hands so we wouldn't have to shake hands. Um, yeah. You know, frightened, frightened, frightened. And now, you know, whatever it is, 40 mm -hmm. years later, um, HIV seems like for most people, it's a very controllable disease where, Absolutely. you know, viral load is basically undetected if treated right, correct? Yeah. The average lifespan for HIV is in the 70s, which I find unbelievable, as I remember seeing all those young individuals uh, die in their 30s, yeah. that yes, it's, it's totally controlled uh, disease, and we will actually have better and better treatments. And I think we may at some point actually have a cure instead of just a control. Wonderful. And basically out of this treatment comes many others. I mean, yeah. so viruses which were generally untreatable 40 years ago are now highly treatable from HIV to hepatitis to, uh, to COVID. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Amazing uh, life you have lived, doctor. We appreciate you writing about animacules. But there was an interesting footnote when I was reviewing your background was back in 2005, you were actually kidnapped. Uh, it kind of blew my mind because, you, you know, you don't live in the demographic area where you expect a man of your age who have been kidnapped and so forth and so on. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that. I know it was also of the subject of a true crime book for you as well. Yes. So uh, that happened in Amarillo. <clears throat> At that time, I was the regional dean of the School of Medicine there. But my kidnapping had nothing to do with that. There was a very dangerous criminal who had violated parole and was trying to leave Texas and just needed to rob somebody. And I was the one who had left my garage door open. It was one of those back alley garage doors. Mm -hmm. It was on a Sunday morning and I was writing back and forth with my son in college about his term paper. <clears throat> and I turned my head and there was a very agitated individual with a shotgun to my head asking if uh, I had any guns. And I said, no. He asked if uh, there was any family members in my home. I said, yes, my son is in the basement. Uh, he's uh, soon to go to church. 
uh, he wanted money, but I actually didn't have hardly any money in my wallet. <clears throat> Took me down to the laundry room to wait to see what would happen to my son. My son came up, <clears throat> kind of like you see on TV. I leaned out of the laundry room to say goodbye very calmly, have a good day in church. And he left by the front door and didn't know that there was anybody there. And then basically what this was, was a not uncommon crime where he put me in the front seat of his SUV. <clears throat> he was in the back with his shotgun and we drove to an ATM machine where he wanted me to get $500. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know my PIN number because I didn't do my family's banking. And so that wouldn't work. And so we just drove around as he tried to figure out what to do with me, probably recognizing that when you kidnap somebody, it's pretty serious. And in fact, uh, I didn't know the date at the time, but of uh, when a middle-aged man is kidnapped, he has about a 50-50 chance of being a homicide. But just briefly, <clears throat> what the book is about is that uh, as a physician, I dealt with so many different types of people, mm. agitated, anxious, drug addicted, which he was. Some of my HIV patients got their HIV from drug addiction. Mm. <clears throat> so we were able to actually go back and forth. And I treated him like a human being mm. and with respect. And at one point, he even was telling me about it because he knew I was a doctor because he looked in my wallet. He asked me about he said he was having really bad back pain. And I told him, yes, well, you know, back pain gets exacerbated by stress and you're under very stressful circumstances right now. You know, being a kidnapper and all, it's pretty stressful. But anyway, after going back and forth, uh, uh, it's a more complicated story, but yeah. eventually he decided to leave me off uh, in a safe place uh, in the middle of nowhere. Mm. But Texas law is very harsh in West Texas. And see, he got two consecutive life sentences. He was on the FBI list. And he he uh, he actually had hurt some other people along the way. So I wrote a book called Anatomy of a Kidnapping. Wow. And I told my story of the kidnapping, but it was also my story of my medical career and how a lot of different things led up to me being able to handle that situation, including Will William Osler's essay on equinimitas, where he tells all physicians, the most important thing you can develop is your ability for equanimity to stay calm under all circumstances. And so I had practiced that for a long time and kind of met the incredible test of a shotgun to my head. Amazing. Absolutely. One of the most amazing stories I've ever heard. Um, because like I said, usually people have a hand in the crime in some way. Yeah. Like they knew the person or they live next door or they were fighting with the neighbor yeah. or they bought drugs mm -hmm. from the person. And it, But to be a totally innocent victim who's abducted who is a middle-aged man, a family man, a gun put to his head and is able to keep his wits about him. That's an incredible story. Uh, 
I think that would be an incredible movie if anybody <laughs> in Hollywood is out there listening and would like to buy the doctor's story as as well as in search of the animacule because Thank that's you. a fascinating you know chapter of history that uh can't be over estimated that's for sure dr burke thank you so much for joining us here today on spotlight thank you thank you for inviting me oh the pleasure is all mine and to the folks at home i'm logan crawford thanking you for your time this time until next time on spotlight